So has it felt like, has it felt like a different December? I know that 70 degrees isn't helping anyone right now. But has it felt just like it just, here it is. It's Christmas all of a sudden. Has anyone else felt that way? You know, I was, um, I've been thinking about this for a lot of years now. Why is it? Why is it that certain Christmas songs stay kind of locked in that, that sense of, of perpetual, like these are our Christmas songs? And I know like the church has its hymns, but there's those other songs too, right? You know the ones I'm talking about. Not Wham's Last Christmas either. That doesn't deserve to be on anybody's list ever. Neither is simply having a wonderful Christmas time, but that's, that's just coming from me, the purist. No, listen, what's really interesting is um, when you think about it, songs, uh, songs of Christmas, that's the pastor's kid, by the way. Um, he's too young to remember that. He will not know anything about what's going on. It's fine. I'm saving for his counseling later. Um, so Russell Moore, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Con- uh, Commission, wrote this in a blog post a couple weeks ago, and I found it really telling. Listen to what he said. He says, sometimes I learn a lot from conversations I was never intended to hear. This happened once as I was stopping by my local community bookstore. It's a small, quiet store, so it was impossible not to eavesdrop as I heard a young man tell, tell his friend how much he hated Christmas. To be honest, the more he talked, the more I understood his point. The man wasn't talking about the hustle and bustle of the holidays or about the stresses of family meals or all the things people tend to complain about. What he hated was the music. The guy started lampooning one pop singer's Christmas album, and I found myself smiling in agreement on how awful it is. But then he went on to say he hated all Christmas music across the board. And that's why when I started to feel more says like I was hearing or standing in the presence of the Grinch. But then the man explained why he found the music so bad. It wasn't just that it was cloying. It's that it was boring. Christmas is boring because there's no narrative tension, he said. It's like reading a book with no conflict. Now he had my attention. I'm sure this man had thought, for this, had thought this for a long time. But maybe he felt freer to say it because we were only hours out from hearing the horrifying news of a massacre of innocent children in Connecticut. For him, the tranquil lyrics of our Christmas songs could not encompass such terror. I think he has a point. Some of the blame is on our sentimentalized Christmas of the American civil religion. Moore writes, Simeon the prophet never wished anyone a holly jolly Christmas or envisioned anything about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Now, if you think about the the Christmas music that kind of stands out in our minds as the music that's the gold standard, If you do a little bit of research on it, do you know what you find out? All of it was written pretty much in the early to mid-1930s, all the way up to the end of the 1940s. Do you know what was going on then? 
you had the, the optimism at the end of the, of the war to end all wars of World War I, and then the longing for peace to once again transcend everything at around or near the end of World War II. In fact, um, things like White Christmas, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, and I'll Be Home for the Holidays were penned at the height of World War II while the soldiers were out fighting in the European theater and otherwise. Something about this, these songs and this sound landed itself in the psyche of the American religion called Christmas. Notice I'm differentiating that from this thing that the church celebrates. Different animals. And all of a sudden, this is what we find is the gold standard of all of our celebrations. So what is it? Why do we not have that narrative tension? Why do we not have that, um, that sense of, of, the, of owning up with the disconnect of what's happening in the world to what, the, uh, what, what Christmas actually promises? I think there are two reasons. And you find them in a really interesting place. In, um, in Isaiah chapter 8, just a little bit before the, some of the excerpts you heard from Isaiah 9 tonight. Listen to this. Isaiah's prophesying, and he's talking about... Um, all the people of the world that see all the stuff going on. And what do they do? They turn to the sorcerers. They turn to the people that talk to the dead. And they try and find their answers there. So here's what happens. Um, if you look at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21, or 22, 21 and 22. He says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. So there's a problem going on, right? There's something going on in the land that's not good. They'll pass through the land and they're going to be incredibly, uh, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be distressed. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look where? They'll look to the earth. Now, what does he mean by that? They'll look to the earth. Basically what, he's, basically what he's saying there in looking to the earth is they're going to look to their own devices, their own resources, their own ingenuity, their own solutions to see what exactly it is that they can do to overcome the problems of the world. Verse 22. They'll look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah doesn't paint a very pretty picture, does he, about what it looks like to turn to the world and turn to the resources that we have before us. See, I think the problem that a lot of people have with the Christmas season is that it's either too good to be true or unnecessary. It's either too good to be true or it's unnecessary, okay? Let's talk about the too good to be true part for a second. There's a sense in which all of us feel um, a deep sense of nostalgia, right? We feel a deep sense of nostalgia um, towards a, a time in our life when Christmas meant a happy time, right? There was, a, there was some sort of, of deep sense of peace, a deep sense of, of, of happiness, completeness, right? And so there's a time in our life where we felt that, that Christmas was, that we, we could finally sigh and breathe a deep sigh of relief that all was for at least a moment right in the world. Nostalgia is defined as a sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy, with happy personal associations. 
So the way that some people deal with the darkness of the world, and when I talk about darkness, there's, there's several things that I mean here, right? First of all, in our natural state, we, our hearts are darkened. What I mean by that is we're spiritually blind. We don't hear God. We don't see what he's doing in the world. We don't really care what he's doing in the world. We ultimately think that what we're doing is good enough, right? But there's also darkness all around. I mean, just look, there are so many people right now, even um, just in general, that think that 2016 has long overstayed its welcome and it needs to go home. Look at the number of musicians, celebrities, tragic world events, catastrophes, crises, both on a global scale, on a national scale, and even in our own lives. We have experienced darkness, but some of the ways that people try and deal with that is to go to a happy place, to go to a place where we say, no, I can deal with this, like the Muppets sang, for we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candles in the window, carols on the spinet. But here's the problem with that. For a lot of people, Christmas isn't a happy time at all. Just look at the things that they're wishing for. They're wishing for, I wish we didn't have to know the results of that medical test that was done. I wish we had children to share the holiday with. I wish my son or my daughter would call us for Christmas. I wish that we weren't living paycheck to paycheck, wondering where the next meal is coming from. See, here's the good news. The good news is that that Christmas isn't for the happy. Christmas is for the helpless. Because God didn't come into the world to simply give us a wistful, sentimental feeling about peace on earth and goodwill towards men. God came into the world to rescue us from ourselves and rescue us from our darkness. And still there are some that would say um, that the darkness doesn't need to be dismissed. But that the darkness can be, uh, we can diminish it, we can deal with it, we can control it, because really the problems are with the inhabitants of the world. And so through science and reason, through politics and policies, through activism and awareness, we can change our world for the better. But the problem is the scriptures don't let us deal with that type of reasoning because the problem is not with the world out there. The problem with the world is in here. The first and foremost problem in the world is not that this unnamed set of people do things that are objectionable. The problem in the world is that my heart is a selfish heart and a me-first heart and a heart that wants what it wants to the expense and to the detriment of all other people. That's the problem in the world. And when you get some odd billion people together all living out that same narrative, do you know what happens? This world. This world is what happens when all those people live out that narrative and live out that story. The problems of the world are not out there, but rather they are in us. Isaiah would later say in his prophecy that all we are like sheep. Every one of us has turned astray and gone to his own way. Every one of us has turned to his own way. And what happened? The Lord laid on the suffering servant, the Christ, the iniquity of us all. You see, the, the thing about it is, 
when you think about the, the story that we tell, the narrative that we are inviting others to hear and experience, it is not that we are saying that the darkness doesn't exist or that the darkness can be managed. What we are saying is, in fact, yes, the world is as bad as you think that it is. It is as catastrophic. It is as unfair. It is as unjust. It is as unrighteous as you think it is. We do not discount that fact. But... Isaiah chapter 9. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Listen, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Beloved, the thing about this glorious message of Advent that we declare is not that the darkness is not as bad as we think it is, but God has sent light into the world, and that light's name is Jesus. And we do not have to pretend like we can somehow fix the world or ignore the world because Jesus Christ has come to save the world. The Christmas story neither dismisses the darkness nor diminishes the darkness. This season of hopeful waiting and longing is not about blithely dismissing the problems and finding temporary substitutes of sentimentality. Nor is it about the resolve that with science and hard work and ingenuity, we can make the darkness go away. Even in anguish, there is hope. We can't produce light, but we can receive light. We can't produce it, but we can receive it. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Do you realize that God in his great love and in his great mercy, seeing and knowing that you and I were spiritually blind, seeing and knowing that there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves, there was no one who sought God, no, not one, that God in his great and rich love and mercy sent his only son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that they might become sons and daughters of God. This is the glory that we declare, and this is the hope upon which we cling. This one, this child, the one who is born, this is the one upon whom the Lord would, would lay the, the iniquity of his people. And it goes on and it says, For he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Beloved, do you long for the one who is the Wonderful Counselor? It is, the, it is Jesus, the one who is the source of all wisdom. Do you long for the one who is the Mighty God, the strong warrior, the one who will fight for you? It is in and through Jesus. Do you need to know that injustice will be set to rights and that peace will one day come that is not just an absence of violence, but it is the presence of the fullness of God. This comes through Jesus the Christ. The wonder of this hopeful longing is that God invites the misfits and the uncertain 
the timid and the aged, the outcast and the far away, the helpless. He invites all of us to come and to gather around and see this great miracle that God has done, that God has sent his son. He has sent him into the world and he has sent him for us. Everyone is welcome. And our hope is not in a time long past, but in a future sure coming. You and I have access to this when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, whom we have been singing about all night long. Because Advent is not just a time to look back at the manger and look at what the miracle was of God incarnate in the flesh. Advent is also a time that the church boldly boldly declares that Jesus the Christ, the ruling, reigning king, the one upon upon whom all things sit and to whom all things have been given, this Jesus is coming again and will set all things right. There will be joy to the world fully and finally. Because the Lord will have come. Earth will have received her king. No more let sin and sorrows grow. No thorns in flesh flesh the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Even what we sang tonight, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Our longing is not to be, um, our longing is not to be dismissed. Our longings matter. It's that the fulfillment of our longings can find no other satisfaction other than in Jesus. God doesn't dismiss your longings. God doesn't belittle or diminish your longings. He says, don't find them in counterfeit substandard places. Bring your longings to Jesus and know that in him, only in him, will you find hope for things to be finally satisfied and set right. May our hope be placed not in the serenity of a manger, but in the scandal of a God who comes breaking through heaven, taking up flesh on earth to live the life we could not live, to die the death that we should have died and offer all of us um, this with no expectation of being paid back. But he does this simply because he loves us. Beloved, this is the miracle of this, of this Christmas tide that God in the flesh has come to rescue his people, to set them apart as holy and beloved, and to give them a place where they can find their satisfaction most deeply and fully realized ultimately in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.